Fika with Anika. The word fika is used as both a noun and a verb and is derived from the Swedish word for coffee. The Swedish coffee break is a moment to literally leave work behind. Taken at three in the afternoon, it's not a strategy for multitasking or for fitting in another mini-meeting. It's a chance to relax in the company of colleagues or friends. The key is to pause your day. So, brew up some coffee, grab a seat, and embrace Fika. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Fika with Anika. I'm sitting here with my friend and guest, uh, Mike Jordan. I uh, met Jordan several years ago through MCOR and uh, also through the uh, local crop swap that w- is still uh, in production. Um, and uh, I found out this year that um, uh, Mike Jordan is an avid uh, bee beekeeper and uh, with a, a specialty of the swarming bees and how to capture them. And um, I'm gonna. This is where I'm going to turn it over to you, Mike. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Well, first of all, let me say this. I'm not an expert beekeeper. I've only been doing it as a backyard hobbyist, and I say backyard. That's where I keep my bees. Okay. I don't have a big, I don't have a big yard. And actually, last year I had eight hives. Uh, by the end of the summer, they were down to two hives, and over the winter, they went to no hives. So I lost every bee I had last year, and I noticed the spring there weren't very many bees. I mean, the bee the bee population. I remember reading on Facebook and seeing the post about everybody's talking about no bees, no bees, no bees. And of course, if you remember, back in April and May, it was wet and cold, and bees don't like the wet and they don't like the cold because when it's wet and cold, they can't forage. They stay in their in, in their little boxes, and we're talking about bees that survive through the winter. So, um, you know, I. When it started getting warm, I said, well, I've got a swarm trap. I set it up, and gosh, within days, I caught my first swarm. And uh, out by my my little ranch where I live, uh, there's a pinion tree probably about a quarter mile from the house, and I've had tremendous luck, especially this year, catching bees there. I have a little swarm trap, and, and let me say, first of all, with swarms, I knew nothing about bees, and I'm going to just kind of stop right here and and just say for a second, I've been doing bees. This is my fourth year doing bees. My first year, I had one box, one hive, and the bees were very aggressive. I paid big dollars for aggressive bees, and I noticed my... Did you buy them online or locally? I bought them locally, and they were aggressive. when I went, when we went to uh, give them water and honey, or rather sugar, the first time, they were all over us, and I I was only half dressed. I just had a uh, just had a top jacket, hadn't made the investment in gloves yet, so they were biting through my little Home Depot orange gloves, and I pulled my gloves inside of my suit, and I tried to run away. Well, not run, but walk fast and. I went, and wherever I went, these bees followed me. So, yes, uh, normally a bee, if he is, or she, I should say, is disturbed, you know, maybe 10 feet, and then she's going to fly back because they're they're basically guard bees. But aggressive bees will follow you up to a mile, maybe two miles that far. No way. Oh, yeah, and oh, okay. um, I found out that if you go under the cover of a bush, like, you know, just kind of walk underneath you'll blend in with the bush unless they're aggressive bees and they'll be sitting there waiting for you when they came out. 
I walked from one side of my yard to the far end. I actually had to go inside one of my containers before I could finally get rid of them. My dogs were all punctured. Their faces were were, were all punctured. So my first year was a very... Wait, wait. So anything moving they attacked oh, because my, you had stirred them up? Well, they actually got got zapped before that. But yes, we, okay. we stirred them up. And then I noticed my dogs, their faces looked like, you know, something out of a monster movie. Yet they had bumps all over their faces. And so I didn't realize at the time that it was the bees. I said, boy, what did they get into? Well, now I know, you know, that it was the bees. So my first year wasn't very, uh, it was memorable to say the least, but I didn't really mess with the bees. And it kind of scared me just a little bit. I wasn't like scared, like uh, like afraid, but I was intimidated. So the second year... Now, now these aggressive bees were honeybees, though. They were honeybees, but they were quite, they call Africanized. And uh, I'll go back a little bit. Have you ever done any interviews with anybody with bees yet? No. Okay, so, so this would be, be good for the listeners then. Uh, basically, Africanized bees, and we get way off where I was, but I'm good at these little rabbit trails. I'll try to come back. Okay. But Africanized bees were imported into Brazil, and I think it was back in the 50s. And there was a scientist there, a Brazilian scientist, that wanted to increase the production of honeybees. And let me just make a little statement here. All the honeybees in North America and South America the whole, this whole, whole gigantic continent all came from Europe. They came from France, they came from Spain, because in the Americas, North and South and Central, there were no honeybees. There are bees, there's probably 2,000 different kinds of flying insects like bees and stuff, but none like the honeybees. So they were imported by the, mostly Spanish. And like, in, you know, but uh, like Mexico had bees from the Spanish, uh, the uh, early Europeans uh, brought brought honeybees over to uh, over to the uh, East Coast, and of course, when bees swarm, you know they leave their hive, and bees slowly moved across the whole country. And of course, when the when the Spanish came to uh, California, they brought bees, and they came from the West Coast and started moving inland. So basically, because of what happened in the 1600s, well, 15, 16, 1700s. The European honeybee, and that's what we call them, have filled up the entire north, south, north and south American continent. So, all those bees, though, came from Europe, almost all of them. And um, just so you know, honeybees have been here 28 million years. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know if the Earth has really been here that long, but that's a whole other that's whole another, that's whole, another interview, whole another interview. But you know. You know, based on what science says, they say honeybees haven't changed in 28 million years. I mean, they found them hidden in amber. They look just the same, which which makes sense. But anyway, going back to uh, Brazil, they found out that, you know, down in Africa, it's extremely hot, extremely dry, and, and you have to be adaptive to the uh, climate. So the African, African honeybee, you know, it's a heavy producer and I'm sure everybody has seen pictures of these guys climbing these cliffs and being dropped down these cliffs and having honeycomb like six feet wide and five foot deep and just full of honey, you know. But, you know, they're doing it just with sticks with smoke and, you know, dropping the honeycomb off. That's the Africanized bee. Well, when they brought these bees into Brazil, they had what they call queen excluders. And, and basically, queens are about three times the size of a regular honeybee. 
So if you make a hole just large enough for a standard honeybee to slip in and out of, the queen can't get out. And, uh, you know, being an, you know, uh, there's a lot of like uh, what they call farm workers or, or basically rural workers that work in these yards. And one of the workers noticed that all the hives that had these Africanized bees in them, not knowing they were Africanized, had these excluders on them right on the entrance. And they had them there so the queen couldn't leave. Well, he took them off, and the rest is history. He took the excluders oh. off, and the bees escaped. And ever since then, the bees have been moving northward, 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 you know, going from Brazil to Guatemala, El Salvador, Mexico, and into the U.S. So basically, the lower half of the United States is full of Africanized bees. You know, not full, but there's a lot. Uh, but but to, but to tell you, that's not so bad. Africanized bees have bred with the European bee, and they're not as Africanized as they were. So genetics have basically calmed them down. But they're still ferocious, you know, or, or not ferocious, but aggressive. So you'll know if you see them because they won't, you, you know, they're very easily agitated. Most of the people that are hurt by Africanized bees are spooked by lawnmowers, by weed eaters, by people moving brush, and they stir up the nest. And you've heard of uh, angry hornets, well. Yes. The thing about a bee is it can only sting you once, but when you get stung multiple times, that's pretty sore. Uh, I actually agitated my bees last week, or actually week before last, and they were really mad at me for about three or four days, and every time I walked there, zoom, zoom, zoom. And it's only because I got in there and I messed with the queen, and I hurt the queen, and when I did, everybody got mad at me. So for about three or four days, I had to wear a, a head mask, you know, just like a veil. But anyway, going back to that, the Africanized bees, they said, well, we've, they, you can't really get rid of them. There's just, just so many of them. But in Brazil, 90% of all the bees in Brazil are, quote, Africanized. It doesn't mean they're African bees. They're Africanized. They've been bred. The genetics have modified them. But the big key between an Africanized bee and a European honeybee is a European honeybee will hatch, will, will go from an egg to an adult in 16 days. An Africanized bee will hatch and will, will go from an egg to an adult in 15 days. And when the queen hatches, in most cases, she'll go through the hive and kill all the other queens so there's no competition. So an Africanized bee will hatch before the, the European honeybee does if they're all in the same nest. Oh. And and by doing so, it maintains that Africanized uh, 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 you know, traits. So, they, but Africanized bees give more honey. They are aggressive, but the hive takes on the disposition of the queen. But like I said, they've been interbred so long, they're not that Africanized bee. So are they now considered to be like a, a quote-unquote native bee then? They're not a, a, no, there's, no. There's, they're, they're not native bees. And you don't really have native bees. You have feral bees, which are wild bees. But even wild bees are descendants of the European honeybee. So even though we say, say native and feral and wild, okay. they're all uh, European heritage. But the smaller bees... They're hardier, so when you see bees and they're really small and really dark, well, they're most likely, you know, they're feral bees that have been living out in the wild for some time. 
the uh, the scientists try to to create bigger bees to produce more honey, and that's just the way things are. But when they escape and they go into the wild, then they live probably. You know, bees will go through. You know, the average lifespan of a typical honeybee is four to six weeks. That's it. Four to six weeks. So they constantly lay eggs and, and she, replace. She lays. She lays eggs. Uh, and let me go back and just kind of, okay. uh, you know, just kind of preface what we're talking about. I am not an expert. I'm not an expert beekeeper, but I've done a lot of research. I'm. Uh, my wife used to laugh at me saying. Might go watch your uh, B movies, and I thought like an oh. A movie versus a B movie. It took me a while to figure. Oh, my B movies! <laughs> I'm a little bit slow there. So, <laughs> but I spent the whole first winter while it was cold and wet outside watching YouTube B movies, and uh, really got a lot of education. And I'm constantly listening to various podcasts. There's so much information out there. I mean, if you don't know anything about bees, you can start by going to YouTube and just type in bees, and you will be just just inundated with information. There are tons of people out there. Okay. And um, so I learn like that, and I listen by podcast, and I I like to read, but I you know it's more in, you know I get on on the internet and just start looking around, and there's so many things out there I don't know about. I thought, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. I discovered swarm traps uh, two years ago, and uh, that's where we were really going. Right. Could I just go back to, yeah. to you said that the first year uh, that your hive did not survive the winter? They did not survive. And what is the reason they wouldn't, how do you lose a, a hive over well, the winter? Well, bees are, you know, the thing about bees is they, their whole purpose in life is to make it through the next winter. <laughs> that's their whole purpose is to is to raise a big brood, that's what they call them, brood spelled B-R-O-O-D, and uh, where the queen lays her eggs, that's called the brood, and the big boxes on the the beehive, the first two boxes are usually called brood boxes. They're, you know, a queen will lay, a really weak queen might lay 500 eggs per day. A typical queen will lay 1,000 to 2,000 eggs per day. Um, and uh, of course, we can go. I mean, we can go here for hours, you know, talking uh, uh, about bees. So, so maybe while we're talking, you'll say, "Hey, let's come back on another day, and we can discuss this." But, Absolutely. But a queen, when she mates, uh, she will leave the nest, and she will fly, and she'll be gone for a day, two days, three days, maybe four days. And when by the time she comes back to the hive, she always returns to the same hive that she left. When she leaves, she's a virgin. When she comes back, she is no longer a virgin. And uh, if she comes back as a virgin, the hive kicks her out. They say, no, we don't want you. Oh. She, she has to go out. She has to mate. And she'll mate anywhere from 10 to 20, 30, 40 times. And in that time of mating, she'll collect all the sperm she'll ever need for her entire life. You're kidding. And a queen will live anywhere from three to seven years, as opposed to... To a worker bee that will live four to six weeks, and uh, this just because the queen was fed royal honey and a lot of royal honey when she was when she was being incubated, and that and that changes her whole whole genetic makeup. Even though she was laid from the same egg the worker bee was, that royal honey makes her into a queen. And uh, but anyway. She will lay, let's just say, 2,000 eggs per day. 
And in one week, that's uh, 14,000 eggs. A typical frame will hold 3,500 eggs, one frame. That's one of the 10 slots. So uh, there's a lot of babies there. And, a, and, and, a, and a, a worker bee will hatch in 21 days. That's the average. You know, it could, it could be 18, 19, 21 days. So you take the queen bee, she'll hatch in 16 days. A worker bee will hatch in 21 days. Worker bee comes out, she's smaller, and they're all female unless she creates a drone, which is a boy, which you know, which is a male. And males are about half again as big as a worker bee. They got great big eyes because they want to be able to see in the dark, and they're always looking for queens because they're going to mate with the queen. Oh, that's their job. That's their job. Their only job in life is to mate with the queen. And when they mate, their vital parts are ripped out and they die. So they only mate once, and, <laughs> and it's it's a horrible death. But the really neat thing about oh, uh, about a drone, and this gets this gets kind of uh, X-rated here, but but when a drone mates with a queen, his his private parts are left with the queen. And he falls off. Another drone will come, and he is his uh, configuration is that he, as he enters the queen, he removes the previous inhabitant. Let me say it like that. Okay. So one after the other, one drone will mate, the next one will mate, the next one will mate, and each one removes the previous drones, you know, private parts, and he in in turn has his. So when a queen comes back. The first thing that the hive does, and let me kind of stop here and just explain what the hive is. Everybody says, well, the queen is in charge. No, the queen isn't in charge. The queen says, we're going to do what the hive tells us to. The hive is one of these socialistic type, uh, they're like ants. They're very social, but, but it's like if you were to scratch your arm, you know, just take your hand and scratch, you would probably destroy half a million like skin cells, you know, just by rubbing just by rubbing yourself but your body as a whole is fine you know and the and and the beehive is very similar the 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 bees actually sacrifice part of themselves as guards as this as that but their whole purpose is to take care of the queen because the queen is the only part of that hive that keeps them going on um so she'll so she'll come back from her quote mating flight that's what they call it and, and a mating flight lasts anywhere from hours to two days, up to four days. And she'll come back, and immediately they can tell by the queen that she's mated. They can tell that she's very productive, and they'll go around just serving her. I mean, they'll give her food, they'll keep her clean, and that whole period of time while she's going through the hive, she's laying eggs, laying eggs, laying eggs, laying eggs. And the whole purpose of the queen is to take the whole whole piece of honeycomb called in this case frames and lay eggs in it and she'll lay eggs in a big big half circle through the whole frame and the top corners there's a little bit of honey there there's a little bit of nectar there there's a little bit of pollen there and that's used for food for the young so if you ever get a chance to look at a at a beehive in one of the frames you'll see a big brown arc there from the from the top going down and that's all where the baby bees have been laying eggs and and, and their food storage. Well, the food storage is up in the top in corners. The okay. Up in the top corners. So here's kind of how a typical beehive works. Wherever the entrance is, 
that's where the eggs are, are are first laid. So the first frame, like you'll like if you got a wide entrance, it could be anywhere off the of the inside frame. So they always start somewhere in the center. So wherever the entrance is, the bees come in, bring in pollen, bring in nectar, bring in whatever it is that they're bringing back, and they transfer it to the worker bees on the inside. Then they turn around and fly back off. And uh, let me kind of interject here. Bees have different jobs in their four weeks of life. Their first job when a bee is hatched is to clean out the little hole that he was born in. He, came, he, he was laid as an egg, turned into a larvae, became a cocoon, and when he emerged from the, the cocoon headfirst, he turns right around, goes back in there, and cleans it all out and gets it ready for the next egg. So that's his first job, is to clean. And then they're assigned different jobs throughout their, life, their lifespan. And nobody tells them, they, you, know, you know, they just know, this is my job, this is my next job. There's things called nurse bees. Nurse bees do nothing more than feed and take care of the baby eggs and the baby larvae. And, and they feed them royal jelly, a small amount of royal jelly, until they're large enough. And then they put a cap, a wax cap, on top of that, um, on top of that, little, that little hole they were, uh, you know, they were in. And at that point, your 21 days goes by and they hatch and they come out and now you've got an empty you've got an empty hole another job for bees is a guard bee a guard bee will sit outside and protect the hive so if you disturb a hive you might have a guard bee maybe fly out maybe buzz you it's a warning they don't want to sting you they're not aggressive but if you disturb them and they fear for the hive that's what they're going to do some jobs other bees have is to meet a worker bee coming in with the pollen and take the pollen or take the nectar and move it. And at night, what the bees do is, you know, um, if, if you think about this, when you're bringing something into a large room, you can drop it there and go get something else. It's a lot easier than if you, if you brought it in and climbed the stairs and put it to the very top. So at nighttime, the bees take the stuff that they brought in throughout the day and they store it in whatever cell is close. At night, they move it all upstairs. So you've got this constant motion of, you know, stuff being moved. Go ahead. Do bees sleep? Bees do sleep. As a matter of fact, uh, just recently I saw a picture of the bee sleeping on a flower. You may have seen that on on Facebook. Uh And wherever bees are, when when they get, you know, they might take a nap doze off four or five times a day but they do sleep I mean you would think they never sleep but that's because there's so many of them the last job a bee has in its lifetime is to go forage to go out and bring back pollen so all the bees you see out flying landing on flowers bringing back pollen they're in the last stages of their life they're the last ones all the younger bees stay home they take care of the hive and they send the old bees out, and the old bees go out flying back and forth. They literally work them to death, and they bring back honey. Well, not honey. They bring back nectar. They bring back pollen. They bring back sap from the leaves and the uh, trees. What bees will do, you know, everybody thinks they're called honeybees, and they are. The whole reason we raise bees is because it was the only sweetener we had until we found other forms of sugar. Like right. 
like maple syrup and sugar beets and sugar cane. But for many years, thousand years, honey was the sweetener. And, and, and you can take crystallized honey after all the moisture is gone and that's sugar. But uh, that's the whole purpose that people have, have raised bees. Uh, back in the, what do, you, what do you call, early years of this country and going back many, many years, you know, people raised bees in, in little baskets. You know, they would weave baskets and turn the basket upside down and the bees would make their nest up there on the inside. And it wasn't until yes. the middle of the uh, 1800s that a preacher named Langstroff, you know, looking at somebody else's plans, he figured out you could, you could make a um, you could make a modular beehive that you could take a, you could you could disassemble and look at it piece by piece, and without destroying the whole hive, you could collect honey and look at the bees. So that's how that went. But uh, very cool. But when when you think about it, it's been just over 100 years that modern beekeepers have been using what they call the Langstroth hive. And right here we could go on. There's different types of beehive. There's the old, you know, you know people used to use hollow logs because that's what bees like, right? They go in a, in, into a tree. Yes. It offers protection, but the only way to get to the honey in a hollow log is to break the log open and take the honey out or scoop it out, you know. Um they use clay pots, upside down clay pots, and they've got tables. They set the clay pot on, and the bees will fly underneath and make a hive underneath. That's been used for a long time. Uh, you, you know, back during uh, what was it, Babylonian days, they've got pictures of like hollow uh, tubes, long hollow tubes that they that the beekeepers raised raised bees in. They've been raising bees for thousands of years thousands of, of years and 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 pretty much nothing's changed here's the thing honeybees as a rule are not aggressive their only job is is to take care of the queen take care of the hive and make honey and why do they make honey because that's their food source to get through the winter they their whole purpose in life is to have enough bees to collect enough honey to collect collect enough nectar collect enough pollen that they make it through the next year. Okay, but but they died after six weeks. Well, so who's living in the hive oh, other than the queen? Um, everybody. You know, they don't all die. But from the time they were born till the time they die is about six weeks. Yes. But she's remember, she's laying 2,000 eggs every day, 2,000 oh. eggs every day, another 2,000 eggs every day. So, from the time she lays her first egg till three weeks later, there's no extra bees in the hive. At the end, of, at at the beginning of the third week, the first set of bees start hatching. The, the next day, the next set of bees hatch. The next set of bees hatch. And so, in, and it's not seasonal. It's so it's year round. It, it, well, it's throughout the whole season of where of you know having flowers. Okay. When winter comes and it starts getting cold and all the all the flowers just disappear and you gotta realize there's flowers that come in spring, flowers that come in summer, flowers that come in the fall, and then there's the winter. But sometimes during the hot summer there's there's no rain and that's called a dearth. A dearth is a word that describes there's nothing for the bees to to harvest. Could you say that word again? Dearth. D E A R T H. Dearth. Okay. It's like death, but 
with an ER in it, okay. dearth. And, uh, and a dearth is when you might have to supplement a large hive with extra stuff. But in the wild, bees have already put up enough honey and enough nectar and enough pollen. And let me tell you what, what honey is. Honey is nothing more than the nectar from a flower that's brought back and evaporated off the moisture. You know, it takes probably 3,000 bees that make one trip to a group of flowers to make one spoonful of, of, of honey. So think about those 3,000 bees to make one little teaspoon. And it, but if you've got 50,000, 60,000 bees in a typical hive, you've got bees working all the time, but not all the bees are out there collecting honey, only the older bees. I see. So, so, but there's three things we've talked about. We've talked about the, which about nectar, which becomes honey. But the other thing they use the nectar for is to make is to make beeswax to make the honeycomb. You know, honeycap. Well, honeycomb and beeswax—they're pretty much the uh, same thing. Well, you know, if you make it thicker, it becomes beeswax. So when so the first thing that bees will do is they'll start creating honeycomb. In, that, in other words, they're creating beeswax. And that's where the queen is going to lay the eggs. And then once they get the eggs going and everything going, any extra, any extra nectar that comes in, they start making honey. And they always store the honey up higher and on the outsides because the honey acts like, a, uh, uh, acts like an insulator. It insulates the hive from cold and from heat. And uh, what the bees do is they'll sit there with the wings and like if you've got a, uh, a, a bowl of soup and it's hot and you, and, you, uh, and you blow on it, you actually cool it off. Well, you're cooling it off by evaporating the moisture and it makes it a little bit cooler because, you know, when it goes from the steam into the air, the temperature drops. Well, they do the same thing with the hunting. They're evaporating moisture to make it thicker. So once the moisture level gets down, gets uh, gets down to about eighty percent, or at, well, at, well, actually twenty percent. You know, when 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 it's when it's eighty percent honey and twenty percent moisture, then well, actually it's about nineteen percent. But I'm just saying roughly twenty. Then they put a wax cap on it, and that seals it, so it doesn't change. And the thing about honey is, honey will last for years. There's been stories of finding honey in Egyptian tombs, you know, that's 3,000 years I've old. I've heard that, yes. And, it, and it's still good. So honey is one of these miracles. Is that because the the properties of the honey, or is it's that because the, they're encapsulated? the honey. Okay, not because they're encapsulated in, in wax. Well, well, it's encapsulated, which keeps the moisture from from evaporating. Because if it evaporated, it would turn into sugar. So, it, so that keeps it sealed, but... Honey is a uh, antimicrobial. You can put it on a wound, and it'll help heal. If you've got a bad cut, you can put honey on it. For many years, you know, people put honey on cuts on wounds because it kills germs. So, and that's the nice thing uh, about beehives. They very rarely get sick. But there are some, some types of uh, funguses, which I don't want to go into it, but, you know, they can just, you know, they can mess with the bees. Right, and the, the bee collapse are, yeah, that they talk yeah, about. Yeah. Right. Well, actually, bee collapse isn't really a bee collapse. Uh, okay. The, you know, there's a thing what they call CCD, uh, you know, it's called colony collapse disorder. 
CCD. And that's the scientific name given to the fact that you'll have hundreds, if not thousands, of beehives, and you walk out there one day, and half of them are dead. And you say, what happened? Well, that's uh, CCD. And CCD is nothing more than if you ate Reese's candy bars every day, and, you, uh, you know, like day in, day out, I'm not talking bad about the Reese's candy bar, but, but, okay. but if that was the only thing you ate, you know, day in and day out for months and months and months, you would probably get sick. If your entire household ate just one thing, and that's called monoculture. There's a thing called a monoculture. How are we doing time-wise? Oh, we're doing fine. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's a thing called monoculture where, you know, you see it all the time. You have these big farms that raise beans, these huge farms that raise uh, that raise tomatoes, these huge farms that raise just one gigantic crop. Well, with the almond farms, uh, with the almond orchards, with the peach orchards, with the apple orchards, we're talking monocultures. And they pay beekeepers big money to drive up there with the big trucks and drop off all these beehives, thousands of beehives, and they pay them uh, probably $150 per box for the season. So they make big money doing it. Yes. So if you've got if you got 10,000 beehives and you bring them up to the almond orchards and you leave them there for uh, for two months, you make some really big dollars. But the penalty for that is these poor bees are eating one kind of protein. They're eating whatever protein is in the pollen oh, of, of that. So they're only eating one thing. That's called a monoculture. I just saw a Facebook ad uh, recently where... Almond, the almond growers are now in between all the almond trees. They're planting all sorts of flowers and stuff to give the bees something else. So well, good so, for them that so they realize they, that they're starting to 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 figure it out. There's a guy that I listen to on YouTube, and quite honestly, I can't remember his name right now. But I was amazed what he was talking about. How the monoculture is responsible for the CCD. Uh, because bees get weak, their immune systems are uh, compromised, and they're more sus- more susceptible to uh, to pests like small hive beetles and varroa mites and the wax moths and this or that okay. stuff that affects bees are because they're not healthy. A healthy bee is a bee that has a variety of pollen and and nectar from assortment of different plants. That's healthy bees. He's run experiments with his bees, and none of his bees he has to treat for for anything like the uh, like the varroa mites or the small hive beetle because bees can naturally fend these off as so, long as they're, they're as eating long as they're healthy diversified right. And the other thing that they do with the almonds is that as soon as the almonds set fruit, they go in there, and this is while the bees are still there. They spray fungicide on the trees, and that's the type of thing that just hurts bees because that fungicide gets on. Nobody really knows how it affects them. They say, "Oh, it really doesn't hurt them," but that's, yeah. that's what they're saying. So, so CCD or colony collapse disorder is really a result of spraying like pesticides, herbicides on the plants. It's a result of eating one, of having one diet. And then you've got the stress of moving them thousands of miles. 
because people from Florida will drive to California to go to the almond the almond orchards, and then when they leave California, they drive up to uh, they drive up to Minnesota. There's something there, or maybe up to Washington State for the apple crop. You know, I see. And, they, and, and then you've got all this stress that's put on the bees, and it's hard on them. I mean, it's right. a hard life. It's a gypsy life. It, it's a gypsy life. It's right. very difficult. Okay. But there's so many people out there with a lot of knowledge. But if you ever want to get started with bees, and this is coming right back where we started. Like I said, this last winter, and of course the winter when I first started, I lost all my bees. This winter, I lost all my bees. I started off the spring with zero bees, a zed, nothing. Is it there was not enough food in the hive? Well, it wasn't that. It was we got a cold snap, and I tried to protect my bees, and I didn't know then what I know now. Okay. And the cold and the moisture, I found all my bees had run out of food. You know, they had died. I don't know why. It, it just happened, but... I'd, I'd already gone from eight hives last year down to two. So as you can tell, I'm not really the bee expert, but I'm learning. Yes. So this year, I said, well, I'm going to put out my swarm traps. I started off with like uh, like, uh, like two traps. I built, oh, six, right. okay. I, I built six more traps, and I build my own swarm traps. So, I, so they're reusable, reusable from year to year to year. And I've learned, how, I've learned where to go, how to go, and whatever. I've only captured like this whole thing, I've only captured three sets of bees that, that were not in a swarm trap. Captured two swarms and one one cutout. Just out of curiosity, so when uh, when uh, the, the swarm is coming through, how far do they travel before they, they find a place to, to, to inhabit it? Um, are, are they just neighborhood bees, or have they come uh, from that's a really, long distance? That's really a, a really good question. Let me kind of explain what a swarm is. Um, a swarm is nothing more than the beehive saying, we're getting too big for this home. We don't want to die. We don't want to stop growing. So we're going to leave a queen in this old hive, and we're going to fly away and find us a new home. So it's a decision that not the queen makes, but the hive makes. The, the hive already knows when they move into a box or into, into a tree stump or into somebody's house that there's only so much room. And when they reach a certain point, they say, hey, it's time to, to leave. And when they do that, they go into what is known as swarm mode. Swarm mode is when the bees say, okay, they for four days before they swarm, they stop feeding their, their queen. They say, no more food. And, and what do you think that is? So she'll stop laying eggs? She'll stop laying eggs, and she's going to lose weight. Because the bee, because the queen bee is three times this size, but of uh, a regular bee, but her wings are the same, so she can't fly very far. All right. And they don't want her to lay extra eggs, so for four days they stop feeding her, and on the fourth day they say, okay. In the meantime, they've got they send scout bees out, scout bees out, and the scouts it's their job to find a new home. They may find a new home, or they may not, but either way, they leave. And when they leave, they all come out at once, and they swing to a tree, and they'll hang there for a while. They might hop. hop. Uh, they can fly as any, any, well, anywhere from 5 to 10, 15 miles, but on the average, it's within a mile to 2 to 3 miles. Okay. But, but like, in, like in desert areas, I've read out in Arizona, like they'll fly 15 miles 
you know, and bees... It's just because there's nothing to land on. There's nothing to land on, or there's nothing that's hospitable that will make a new... Because you cause you got to realize what a bee wants is something that's got to protect them from the weather, protect them from the elements, and to give them a certain amount of, uh, of uh, protection from birds, from from animals that okay. want to eat them and stuff like that. So they're going to find a a, a, a a balcony, an alcove, a hole in a, in a wall, a hole in a barn, a hole in a hole underneath a house, underneath a shed. You know, they're going to find something. And anytime you leave your, uh, if you've got a carport or something out there, you'll see bees kind of flying, kind of flying here, flying there. You say, what's that bee doing here? There's scout bees looking. They're always out looking. So, so you got to realize now this swarm just happened, and over half the hive leaves with the queen. But back inside the hive, the hive all of a sudden realizes, oh, we have no queen. But the queen quit laying eggs, and the bees that are going to remain say, we have to make a new queen. So how do we make a new queen? Feed her extra, extra royal jelly. We make a bigger a bigger cocoon for her so they'll make a, a cocoon that'll stick out the side but they only but you'd think they'd only make one extra queen but you know they play the odds they say let's make six queens let's make eight queens let's make ten queens so a beekeeper that's looking at his hives every week will all, will all of a sudden notice oh look I've got queen cells here they must be going into swarm mode so in order to keep from losing his bees, he can do what's called a split. Separate those bees out, you know, get him a new box, move, the, move half the bees over in, into, the, into the new box, move the queen cells into the new box, leave the queen, and all of a sudden they say, oh, we've got more room now, oh. so we don't have to leave. But, okay. but let's say that the bees swarm. Well, they'll go, well, they'll go into somebody's house, or in somebody's yard and they'll hang hang in a tree. That's how I started catching bees. My second year, I didn't have any bees. And my neighbor, Patrick Bessie, he, he called me and said, Mike, there's a swarm here. So I went over there and I put on my bee suit. One thing I found out, swarming bees are not aggressive bees. And let me tell you why they're not aggressive. You know, if you were gonna, if, if you had a fire in your neighborhood, what would you do? You'd start packing stuff up, right? Yes. And, you know, your whole object is to take what you can and get out of there, right? There's a fire right in the backyard. You're going to take whatever valuables that you can. Well, when bees swarm, there's only one thing can, only one thing they can take with them, and that is food. And their food is honey. So every bee that's going to fly with the queen, with the exception of the scouts, is going to gorge themselves with honey. They eat all that honey as much as they can hold, and they fly to a tree. So every single bee is gorged with honey. Now, what does that do for them? When they get to their new home, they've got food because they got the honey, but the first thing they start doing is making beeswax. Why? So the queens can start laying eggs and they can store their extra honey. So when the bees leave their home, they swarm. So here's the thing. If I see a swarm up, you know, up in a tree and they're not too high, I can walk up there, spray them with a little bit of sugar water, I don't use smoke. You don't need smoke because they're not aggressive. They're not... Even the Africanized ones are not aggressive. Yeah, yeah. well, not really. There might be one or two that are, but 
you'll you'll go up there. And and if I ever ever mess with bees and I, and a swarm is is aggressive, I will leave them. I won't mess with them. Why? Because I don't want Africanized bees. Right. I do not want aggressive bees. But I'll take my bucket up there and I'll put it under the branch and I'll trim all the other branches are and just shake those bees right into the bucket, cover them up. It takes me, you know, maybe you know, maybe five minutes. It takes about ten minutes prep work and five minutes to knock them in, in, into the bucket. I okay. use a, a, a towel because that way they've got air. And if, as long as you got the queen, you'll be fine. And uh, and some of these will fly around. They'll say, oh, oh, oh. And you might, you might have them zooming, but they're not trying to attack you. They're trying to figure out where's the queen. Right. So catching a swarm is easy. And once they've built a new hive, they're more difficult because now they're established. It's like if you move from one house to the other and then something comes into your house, well, you're defensive. And bees are the uh, and bees are the same way. So this year, a friend of mine, David Haskell, he and I built uh, about a dozen swarm traps, and we've been hanging swarm you know swarm traps in his yard and his ranch, and I've been hanging them here. So we've caught almost twenty swarms this season. So it, that's a lot of bees. That's a lot of bees. That's a lot of bees. Now, like can, I said... Can you, can you take two swarms and put them together into one hive? You can, but usually not, because okay. if each one's got a queen, you, you don't mix oh. queens. But if, if I've got some homeless bees that have lost their queen, let's say I've got some bees and they lost their queen, I can mix them with an established hive. But you don't really do that. You put them into uh, separate boxes... And, uh, you know, you may lose one or two. Like uh, my first swarms that I caught this year, I lost two of them because in May it got really cold. Let's see, April, May. Yeah, yeah in May we mm-hmm. had a cold spell, and and two of my swarms died, you know, that I just caught because I still haven't learned all the things. Like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm still learning. But I've replaced those. I've replaced many more. I've done, I've, I've had a good time with them, and... Um, and I can do removals. I don't really want to. I mean, you know, here's the thing. Why should I want to go get stung? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> when, when, when I can get the bees with no effort, no cost, no nothing. Now, if they need to be taken out, I don't mind doing it. But I let other people that that actually make a, 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 a living, like, you know, doing that, I try to send them the business. But if they can't do it, I'll do it. Okay. So I can do it. Well, I know this year there yeah. was like an excess of swarms. Isn't it amazing that in the spring there were hardly any bees? But remember, 21 days, all those bees that they have start hatching. Yeah. And they go crazy. So I've caught, you know, we've, you know, let's say I've caught 18 swarms this year. 18 swarms. That's 18 hives. And we've done a and we've done a couple of splits. So right now we're in the middle of the summer. So from this point on, the bees are storing honey. As a matter of fact, one of the things I want to tell you was uh, I'm going to be experimenting with a new hive called a flow hive. And a flow I've hive. Se- I've seen that on. So summer. so here's what's really nice, and and the listeners I think are really going to like this. You know, I've had to learn. It's taken me four years to learn what I know, and I don't know very much. But you know. Every time I go out to mess with the bees, and 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 I've collected honey, but not a lot from my own hives. This year, I said I'm going to get a lot of honey. This, you know, I'm going to get a lot of honey this year. And I've got the beehives, I've got the bees, and but a flow hive is something for a a uh, 
a small home Thai beekeeper that really doesn't have the time or, or you know they have a rough schedule where they can where they can raise bees and help the environment and at the same time get a little bit of hunting. What a flow hive does is the upper part of the flow hive is man-made, it's made out of plastic. But it's uh, but it's BPA free is BPA free plastic. Okay. And it's put on the on the top part of the hive and it's very wide and very open. But it's all wrapped in a big in a big wooden box. But the wooden box has has an opening on it where you can access the uh, valves on the front and you turn this little crank and you put a jar underneath it and as you put this jar under it just picture this now I've got a circle that holds honey but if I hit that little circle really hard and it cracks I've got a hole in it that honey will leak out well this is designed to when you turn this key this whole long row of plastic honeycomb splits and when it splits the honey starts dripping out collects in this trough comes out the front and what you do is you put it on the back side of the hive so you can walk around the back and you have an inspection window on the side where you can look at the inspection window and see when the honey's capped because when they first put the honey in it still got a lot of water in it okay and water will cause the honey to ferment but once you remove the moisture content to below 20 percent they cap the honey or they cap these plastic boxes once it's capped you can say okay i i can collect some honey now now you don't want to get it all because you have to leave some for the bees but you can go out there and collect probably you know from there's probably three gallons of of um, of, well, three pounds of honey in each frame. So three, six... That sounds like an awful lot. It's a lot of honey. So you can collect one, like one week, the next one, like one week. As soon as you empty one, they're going to start filling it back up as long as, there's, as long as there's honey. So the phrase we give that is called honey on tap. You go out there anytime you want, you know, put a jar there, crack it open, and collect honey. So it certainly sounds like an improvement to the... Uh, they used to have to take the frames out and have to scrape it off and then let it just drain off. Well, they used to... It, that's exactly right. You've got to uncap it first. Mm-hmm. And you've got to scrape that capping off, and then they put it in a high-speed spinner like a... Like a, a centrifuge. Uh, like a centrifuge. <laughs> and that's how, the, um, that's how the modern beekeeper does it. But in order to do that, you've got to pull the box off. You've got to get the bees out. So you get the bees out. You pull the box off. You, you've got to cart the, the box back and stick it in a warm room. The warm room, heat, uh, you know, is designed to keep it around 80, 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Because when it gets cool, it's really slow. Um, but And then when you're through, you get to take it all the way back and open up the hive. So you, you disturb the bees quite a bit. Now, there's a lot of beekeepers say it's bad for the bees, and a lot of people say, oh, it's great for the bees. Well, I'm experimenting. I'm going to see how it is. But I've got two large hives that I've, uh, that I've collected this year that are outgrowing those. So I ordered one, and it won't be here for another week. So last night I ordered a second one that will be here on uh, Friday. 
So okay. I'll so I'll start experimenting. I'm going to do a a a a, a little seminar, a little meetup here, where we can talk about the flow hive, and because it's a great way for people who want to raise bees but don't have the money or the or the time or the or the energy or all the stuff it takes to collect honey. Collecting honey isn't easy work. It, you know, it's it takes a lot of work. And since the uh, you know back in the early the early pioneer days, everybody had bees. They had bees in their backyards. They had the uh, the upside down clay pots, the upside down baskets, and bees would go there. Everybody had bees because everybody want everybody wanted sugar. But since all these different uh, these different de- diseases you know started uh, started mess with the bees. They want hives to be inspectable. And to inspect a hive, it takes an investment of about $300 to actually have a hive big enough to make honey and have the bees. So Inspectable by whom? Inspectable, so you can pull it out and see. Oh, oh so you the beekeeper. You the beekeeper. Okay. But there's some states that they won't let you have, you know, like California is different. You can have up to 25 hives without any, uh, without any licensing. Uh, but some states you can't have any. Like if you're in a high residential area, they won't let you have them unless you got a, unless you've got a, uh, unless you you've got a license. I see. But here, you know, as long as you don't go over 25, uh, you know, you're fine. But um, you know, we don't have any regulations. You can have any kind of hive you want, but it should be in, inspectable. But think about this: if you got bees up in up in your up in your uh, attic and you never go there you've got a beehive that's not inspectable so it really doesn't matter but if you're going to raise honey and raise bees it's nice to have something where you can go up there and and normally when you raise bees you've got you've got two brood boxes and you can have one two or three supers which are smaller that go on top because here's the thing a typical frame of honey weighs about 15 pounds. Okay. So if you've got 10 of those... That's 150 pounds. That's 150 pounds. Even if it's only half full of honey, it's 75 pounds. That's a lot of weight. So you put a smaller box there where a typical hive, where a typical frame may weigh, let's say, 7 pounds. Because in a super, it's usually about 60 to maybe 75 pounds, so you can lift it off, you know. But gotcha. but that's a lot of weight to lift off at uh, shoulder height because you've got to figure two brood boxes and then one, two, three supers high. That's still pretty heavy, you know. So, But if you want honey, I think the, uh, I think the flow hive is, uh, is, the, uh, is the way to go. And that's one thing I'm going to try to help help people do here a typical flow hive right now is about seven hundred dollars you can get in for okay little, so you're talking people who are professionally wanted who want to raise yeah you know who, you, we're talking about backyard beekeepers that want an easier way or something new that's the flow hive but you're still looking at an investment of about five to seven hundred dollars i'm looking at about half that if we can make it halfway there that would be really nice you know but the typical hive that, that you like buy off of the yeah, Amazon or, right. or whatever, they're about one hundred and fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. So here's that, the that's thing. a huge difference. A box with frames, uh, you know, frames are usually about four dollars each, so that's forty dollars. 
a box costs you roughly fifty dollars. Well, about twenty dollars, but if it's uh, if it's if it's assembled with frames, you're looking at about fifty dollars. But then you got the bottom, and then you got the top. So you add those components, you're looking at maybe seventy-five dollars. Uh, depending on where you buy it from, it can go from like fifty-five dollars up to about hundred fifty dollars. If you buy it with bees, that adds another hundred dollars. So you know bees because you got to have bees for the box, right? Right, right. <laughs> but what I've tried to do is I've got a low cost box that, that I build, and I can get people into bees for probably uh, you know anywhere from around hundred to hundred fifty dollars. You know, which isn't bad. You know, and what's really nice is I catch swarms, and if and if people wanted to, you know, they could like buy a swarm trap or build their own swarm trap and catch their own bees, and that takes a hundred dollars right off the cost. Gotcha. And they can catch multiple swarms, not just right. one, but you can catch all the swarms that you want. Now I've seen your swarm traps. The yeah. uh, um, when you had a. A little gathering down at Minor Park yeah. in early May, right. and it looks like about half the size of a hive. It's actually, and, and all you had was a, 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 a mason jar. I've got uh, a mason jar cover. I've got a screened entrance, and when I say screened, it's half-inch hardware cloth, and that's just to keep the mice out. Because oh. mice like to crawl in there and say, "Oh, look at this nice little hole! I can go in there and I build a nest." And you know, mice and bees live together. You know, the mice will nibble around on the bottom. But they'll also make a nest up in the uh, comb, so we don't want mice in there. And by keeping it small, you know, by keeping it screened, that keeps it off. But the whole reason for the swinging door is when I want to take the swarm trap out of a tree or off of a post, I don't want to deal with the bees. So I, I've got a single screw in it, and I just roll it down over the entrance, and then I can take the beehive down. I strap the top down so it doesn't come loose, and I very carefully take it home because you got to realize there's new comb in there, and it's very fragile. So this uh, swarm trap is then basically hung in the tree, anticipating that the swarming bees are going to find it right. and say, wow, this is a really neat place to live in. Okay. A typical swarm trap will be about 40 liters. So think about 40-liter bottles. Uh, uh, you know, stuck there. So I did the math. I, I did the width and the height times the depth. And it came up to about 40 liters, which is what the bees look for. But I actually had a swarm go into one of my swarm traps, and it was too small. A, this was a big swarm. So even a bigger box will work, will work sometimes. So you could take old beehives and hang them up in a tree, and they make good swarm traps. But the bigger your swarm trap, the bigger high, the bigger swarm you make, you may catch. But it is, it's not guaranteed. But one of my big swarm, my big hives back home came from a swarm that I followed to my swarm trap. They flew over my house, out into the field, and I followed them, and then I lost them. <coughs> and then all of a sudden I heard them and walked to the pinion tree where my swarm trap was, and they were there. It was, it, it was, oh. it was so amazing. And they were just, and I went back the next day, and half of them left. You know, some of them stayed, but it was too small for them. Okay, so I'm just looking at the time, and we're just under an hour on this interview. So I, I would like to invite you back again, but I'm going to leave this at this cliffhanger. I know I've got a lot more questions for you, and Great. I would love to bring you back again. Okay, I'll be happy to come back. Uh, 
Well, it's a plan. <laughs> My people will call your people, and then <laughs> we'll, we'll get it all together. Sounds great. Fantastic. Thank you for coming in again. You're very welcome. Okay, great. Thank you for joining us for this week's Cup of Fika with Anika. Tune in Wednesdays at 3 p.m. and a replay on Sundays at 1 p.m. If you have any questions or comments for me or my guests, please send an email to programming at koyt971.org and put Fika in the subject line. Enjoy the rest of your day.